I don't need help. I'm not in an abusive relationship. This is just how it is for us. It's a lie we tell ourselves, one that many in abusive relationships repeat until they believe it. But there's hope. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship, a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence. This show is about hope. You will hear from survivors of abuse, and their stories may sound familiar. They may even inspire hope. Our goal is to connect with others in these toxic relationships to offer that hope, and with supporters of our mission, anyone willing to help get rid of abuse in our culture. We also talk with the experts in the field, from the officers on the front lines of domestic abuse calls to the therapists and advocates helping survivors navigate this complicated road of recovery. If you're in need of help, please visit our website or call our 24-7 hotline, 800-828-2023. And if this is an emergency and you need help immediately, please call 911. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship with your host, Claudia Pauls. Hello and welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship. My name is Deborah Hackworth. I'm filling in for Claudia. And today we're going to be talking about law enforcement's response to domestic violence. Domestic violence, again, is a very serious topic and um, law enforcement plays a huge role in that. And so we're here with Chief of um, Dwajak Police, Director of Public Safety, Steve Grenwald, and welcome, Steve. <coughs> Thanks for having me. I appreciate the chance to be here. Rose, you had some information about um, law enforcement. I did. Um, I just wanted to share that domestic violence has been found to contribute to the single largest category of police calls in some cities. When police officers respond, they know the situation can be volatile for both them and the abuser's victim. That's because the killer in almost one-third of female homicides is an intimate partner, and 22% of officers killed in the line of duty in recent years occurred while responding to domestic violence calls. Also, it's proven that there's a connection between offenders who murder police officers and a record of domestic violence. They're dangerous people. They're about power and control, and law enforcement officers represent the authority to take away their freedoms. Nearly half of departments now have separate units devoted to domestic violence cases. Okay, so Steve, um, I guess my first question would be, how has your department developed policies to respond to domestic violence calls? Well, we, we definitely have a policy um, on how to handle, how to respond to and handle domestic violence calls. Um, it's been around for a long time, quite mm -hmm. frankly, it probably needs updating, but at this point it does guide and direct the officers as to where they go. Um, just a little bit about Dwajak. We're a smaller town uh, with a smaller department. We have 16 officers, um, eight of which are, or I'm sorry, 10 are which are uh, assigned to road patrol. So they are the ones that would respond to these type of calls. So we do have a policy in place uh, that directs officers that um, domestic violence calls are given a high priority. Uh, they will be responded to immediately. Um, they are something that we drop everything else to that we're doing and go to. Uh, once we arrive, they are to be treated uh, with a high priority. Priority. Obviously, um, as Rose mentioned, there's a, uh, a heightened uh, sense of security that officers need to look for, uh, not only for themselves, but for the uh, victims and those involved as well. And uh, they investigate. Uh, once probable cause is determined, an arrest shall be made. We don't give them much of an opportunity to uh, have a lot of gray area in this. Um, 
obviously you're told a lot of different things and and uh, a lot of different stuff comes up during these investigations but uh, we look for identifying an assailant developing probable cause and making an arrest okay so there's a big um misnomer i guess that when the police come that the victim has to say i've been abused and i would like this person arrested what is the law in michigan concerning that right the law in michigan um the victim does not press charges uh the state does and we represent the state Mm -hmm. uh, meaning that the officers are the ones that are going to press charges whether the victim wants to or not uh, as long as probable cause exists for us to make that arrest and, and go forward with that case, we will do so, uh, whether they want to or not. Sometimes, obviously, that can be a little um, contentious at times. Uh, there are victims that are, they have a lot more concerns than we do, um, mm-hmm. and so that can bother them a little bit, but we try to reassure them that um, this is the best course of action, and we try to follow that up with uh, backing that up with uh, um organizations like uh, domestic and sexual assault services to come in and assist us uh, with picking up where we leave off with that type of thing. Okay, there's been victims who have said when the police come that there's a lot of times that the police make them feel like they're wrong for calling. I've noticed that with your officers, they take a very proactive um advocacy stance with victims does that come from the training that they received in the police academy or do you do additional training there with your officers um well first off thank you for saying that um Mm -hmm. we we certainly work hard to try to make sure our officers do the best job that they can um and it's to answer your question a little bit of both um they're given you know certain um information through their training through police academy and uh, as they go forward on how to handle some of these calls but it i think it really stems back from um and i guess an opportunity to toot my own horn a little bit uh from leadership from from the Mm -hmm. administration of the department um as we're where i i am a member a board member for domestic and sexual assault services that has really opened my eyes to a lot of things mm-hmm. and how some of this stuff is looked at and how it is viewed and and that's part of it is that how the victims look at this type of thing so we as a department really try to focus on uh, making sure that victim uh, is taken care of making sure that that we respond correctly and not make them feel as if they were wrong for for making that call um, it all goes to your demeanor as soon as you get there and as soon as you walk up. If you come in with a attitude and a wall up in front of you, that's how it's going to be perceived and that victim's going to shut down and you've done nothing at that point. So we really try to hammer home the point of how we treat people, how uh, we handle this and, and what your demeanor. It's, it's something as small as a look or a phrase or a comment that you make uh, can just shut down the entire thing Uh, so we really work on our officers to do that through additional training through in-house training as well as other trainings that are provided that that can give them that insight okay you talked about um, when you go in and to investigate what does that investigation process look like i know when we watch different crime television shows it seems um like 
they go in and you know tape off the area and all these things what does it actually look like when you go in to investigate well it depends on obviously every incident uh, some are bigger than others so you may need to tape off areas usually on these types of calls you don't need to uh, mm-hmm. you know one of your number one concerns is as rose mentioned at the beginning of this it's it's a very dangerous situation you're dealing with an individual who's an assailant that is used to power and control, and you represent the person that's going to come in and take that power and control away from them. So that bothers them, uh, that concerns them, and they try to manipulate you quite a bit as they're telling you the story of what happened or their version of the story of what happened. Um, Then you've got a victim on the other end who is just as scared for other reasons. Uh, They have called you for help, and they're concerned that maybe you're not going to help. Maybe you're going to... Uh, by the story of the of the assailant so it's very dangerous from our end Um, like Rose said these individuals are dangerous individuals so you have to watch what you're doing you have to separate these individuals Uh, they don't want to talk in front of each other Um, the assailant generally does the victim doesn't separate um, it takes more than one officer Um, you have to watch each other's back you have to get the full story you have to ask a lot of questions because you're gonna sometimes you have to pry information out this is a very personal um, very intimate uh, step into these people's personal lives and you're stepping into that so they're a little concerned about giving you how much information do they give uh, what information do they give are they going to be judged so you have to take your time with it Um, really investigate thoroughly try to answer all the questions Um, try to secure that scene the best you can with as many officers as you need to so you can identify witnesses you can look for evidence you can check for everything to give you the best picture and give the victim the best um, investigation that you can give them okay so does your officers as they're investigating and gathering information do they do a lethality or risk assessment to measure the level of danger that the victim may be in yes Um, absolutely that's and and that is part of as we we mentioned a little bit earlier on the policy that we have um, several years ago it's mandated by state law that that each county uh, uh, come up with what's called a domestic violence form on that form uh, that every officer is required to fill out there is a lethality assessment on there uh, asking several questions about um, basically the activity that's been going on uh, long before we've arrived and uh, to kind of gauge what is actually going on here is is this developed into something that that people are in danger and I don't want to make it sound like uh, any of these types of calls someone's in danger period Mm -hmm. (laughs) but um, you know obviously it progresses in stages and gets worse and this kind of helps us gauge where are we at during this and so yes with that is part of the investigation it is part of the questions that we ask. Steve would you be able to maybe share with us some um, things that you have seen that would demonstrate the dynamics of what a survivor um, is experiencing something that would like red flags that you would see when you come on a scene that would that would indicate to you um, maybe the danger or the lethality around the situation 
As I said, you're dealing with a very emotional issue um, from all sides. And when you're starting to talk with a, with a victim or survivor and you see a demeanor, uh, you see somebody that even though the assailant isn't anywhere near them at that point, they're still looking for them. They're looking over your shoulder trying to find out where they are. Are they going to hear what I'm saying? That kind of gives you an indication that there's some pretty heavy control going on here and they're, and they're quite frankly, scared to death. Mm -hmm. And... Um, you know that you look for those types of things you look for um what you know for, from their perspective um uh being held back financially uh, not being allowed to see friends what are they allowed to do something as little as as you know i'm not allowed to drive unless i'm told i can uh, so you look for those types of comments and those types of little things that you're pulling out of statements. Sometimes uh, you look for what is said. Sometimes you look for what is not said. Mm -hmm. And that can give you the same uh, type of thing. So that's probably what I've seen the most in my career is, is uh, I mean, let, let's face it, um, it's usually a male uh, assailant and a female victim. Mm -hmm. um, most of the time you see the female victims seem very, very frightened to even tell you what's happening. Mm -hmm. And they're looking around wanting to see if they're being listened to. Yeah, yeah. So what would you say to someone who's listening who is a victim of domestic violence if they're reluctant to call the police? Um. And that's difficult. I can speak for my department to where we um, where we really try to hammer home the point of how you treat a victim uh, that that goes so much more. But a lot of victims have called the police in the past and have not received that type of treatment. So they're very, very reluctant to do so, as you're well aware. Um, the best that I can tell somebody is you, the, the first step is going to start with that call. Mm -hmm. uh, make that call. Um, make sure the officers understand uh, what the situation is, what's going on. Make sure you tell them as much as you can. If the, if the officer does nothing else other than to refer you to a uh, domestic violence uh, type of uh, coalition, a, a something similar to DASIS that, that we have here in our county, uh, that can start that process and get them at least going in the right direction to where they need to go. There is help out there. There is uh, organizations that help and the police are that first step uh, believe it or not they are there to help <laughs> um, you know I'm the government coming to help you um, that type of thing <laughs> but uh, uh, they certainly are and um, they certainly will um, you know if if you if you're sincere with them and give them the information that they need um, they can at least get the ball rolling in the right direction right one thing that I would tell victims in safety planning is don't be afraid to call the police because the police are would rather respond to a um, a false alarm or um, an argument than to respond to a serious assault or yet worse a homicide absolutely absolutely we'd much rather be called and, and uh, have it be nothing than we should have been called and we weren't like you said um, more than happy to show up um, and even if it is just an argument if, if we're given the right information that that indicates that there's a lot more going on here than what this specific incident is we can then then start making uh, referrals to organizations that can start helping this person get out of a situation mm -hmm. maybe a final question is how can a survivor help when they are calling um, the dispatcher when they call 911 when they're calling for help 
what kind of information would be helpful for them to be able to give the dispatcher so that when the police arrive, they have all the information that they need to help? Every officer that's called to pretty much everything, whether it's a domestic violence incident or any other type of call, you want as much information as you can get prior mm -hmm. to getting there. Um, you know, the officer is out, uh, it, whether they're in their patrol car, whether they're doing reports, whatever it is that they're doing, uh, they receive this call that there's an incident going on at this residence and they have no clue what they're walking into. So as much information as possible, information like, um, you know, what, what occurred, number one, number two, uh, what's the demeanor of people? Are there weapons there? Are there weapons available? Were there weapons used in this incident? Where is everybody? Um, any any type of, because um, what we'll get sometimes is, well, it's at this residence. Well, it's actually in the barn behind the residence or it's out in the garage. We don't know where that is when we're approaching. Um, quite frankly, it's a safety issue as well as um, how much time is wasted trying to find something. <laughs> and, and there could be an assault occurring while we're there, uh, but we didn't know where it was, so we can't get to it. So as much information as possible. Um, everybody knows their own uh, residence. They know their own building. They know where things are. So when I say, well, I'm in the back bedroom, well, the officer doesn't know what the back bedroom is. He doesn't know where that is. He doesn't know what side of the house that is. Um, so as much clarifying information as can possibly be given, um, that's better. Record uh, The 911 calls, they're all recorded. Uh, so information of the assault, information of, uh, like I said before, the weapons, any information of what's been going on. If this is an ongoing incident where um, the, the typical evidence of domestic violence, the financial um, the control, those types of things. If they can work that in, that's all recorded. That's all, that all becomes evidence for us at that point. So that's a big help, um, especially if they're a little concerned about talking once we get there. I can go back and get it later because it's all recorded. So anything, any, the more information, the better. That's the best I can tell. I know, Steve, when we're responding from an emergency response perspective from our organization, when we send volunteers out to respond after an arrest has been made of the assailant, you know, there's information that we need, like, do they have dogs? Are the dogs, you know, tied up? Are they mean? Is there a angry, you know, 17 year old son left behind? Or um, there are things that can make the situation dangerous, even for our responders to go out. So I understand the importance of having all of that information before you come on the scene. Yep, it makes a big difference. It really uh, puts the officers a little bit more at ease when they know what they're going into. Um, unfortunately, uh, we're probably not going to get all the information that's never going to happen, but the more the better uh, because it does put you a little bit more at ease. As you're, I can tell from experience from when I'm responding to these types of things as I'm on the way, I'm already formulating a plan in my head of where do I park, how do I approach, what am I looking for, what am I listening for. And if, if you know that weapons are there, you're going to respond maybe a little bit differently than if you yeah. don't know. Um, and, and that's the difference of even if even if the, uh, the victim doesn't know whether there's weapons there, if they say that, that lets us know there very well could be. But if they say for sure there's not weapons here, we've never had one, then I know that going into it as well. Mm. So, um, you know, all that information helps. Well, Steve, we really appreciate you and we appreciate what your department is doing and we appreciate uh, your respect for the situation and for putting yourself in harm's way. We thank you for your service and for taking, um, for understanding the serious nature of domestic violence. We appreciate that. Thank you, Steve. 
Well, thank you for saying all of that. We, uh, like I said, we do work very hard. I'm trying to change the perspective of our officers um, from experience, from myself, from from uh, 29 years of doing this line of work, as well as being involved with DASIS now. It's given me a new perspective, and I'm trying to change that. It's slow change. Uh, cops don't like change, <laughs> and right. that's kind of how they work, but uh, we're, we're working at it. So, yeah. And we really appreciate the, the hard work that you guys do. And... Um, making sure that we're well aware of what we need to be aware of as well. So, Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to I'm Not In an Abusive Relationship. If these stories resonate with you and you need help, please visit our website, dasasmi.org. That's dasasmi.org. Or call our hotline at 800-828-2023. We are here to walk alongside you. Now, if you know someone who might benefit from our show, please share it. Social media, email, simply telling someone about it all help us spread the word and help us to combat domestic and sexual violence. We also welcome financial and volunteer support. That information is on our website. Thank you to the staff, volunteers, and board of directors at Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services. This podcast is produced with the help of a committee of dedicated advocates. Thank you to WBET Radio in Sturgis, Michigan for the use of their studio. This has been a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence and a production of Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services of Michigan.